Hey, good morning, New Breed. It is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, hey, I see you guys out there. Got your eyes open. I see the coffee cups. You know, that's one thing about not being here at the service in the, in the gym here. You guys can sit and have a cup of coffee while you listen to the message. But listen, I am so pleased to be able to share with you this morning. And I'm really humbled that I get to address the fathers on, uh, on this day that we call Father's Day. And so uh, let's get right into this this morning, because uh, I know that there are a lot of things going on later in the afternoon for, for fathers that are probably planned. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, I come before you, and I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, that your hand is on everything. There isn't anything that happens, Lord, that your hand is not on. What an encouragement this morning in, in, in worship and song as we are led to the throne of grace. Father, you are worthy. There is no one like you, Father. There is no one to be praised but you, Father. God, we ask that we come into your presence this morning, Lord, that we will worship you, that we will be transfixed on you, that we will be focused on you. We will listen to your word. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you will make application to our hearts so that there will be a change toward godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I want you to turn with me, if you will. Uh, you know, we're kind of in the Old Testament. Michael's preached a tremendous series on Habakkuk, and now he's working us through the book of Daniel. And this morning, I'd like to take us to, to the book of Joshua. And I know that there are so many books that I could have gone to for a Father's Day message this morning, but for some reason, I was being led to Joshua and just the idea of legacy and the title of my message this morning is, Be Strong and Courageous, Six Keys to Legacy Building. Now, the text that I've chosen, believe it or not, is at the very end of Joshua. And, you know, Joshua is a bridge book. It's a book that kind of bridges between the book of Deuteronomy of entering in or leaving the exile and entering into the promised land, and then the book that kind of moves into the book of the Judges where we see uh, the decline of the generations before. So it's a bridge book. But it's also a sister book to the book of Ephesians. It's one of the cool things that I really like about Joshua. It shows where they were and where God was taking them, just like the book of Ephesians shows just who we were and who we are and who we will become. And that's sort of the same picture that Joshua takes. And, and as we begin this, I want to read the Scripture. I know it's a little bit longer Scripture this morning, but please bear with me because it really is a full text Hear the word of the Lord. Joshua 24, beginning in verse 1. Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, remember that name, and summoned Israel's leaders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Hmm, sounds like a prophetic utterance, doesn't it? Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took you, I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates, led him throughout the land of Canaan, multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the hill country of Seir to Esau's possession. Jacob and his sons, however, went down to Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron, and I defeated Egypt by what I did within it, and afterward I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you reached the Red Sea. The Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen as far as the sea. 
Your fathers cried out to the Lord, so he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea over them, engulfing them. Your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt. After that, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Later, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. You possessed their land, and I annihilated them before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent out to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Baor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he repeatedly blessed you, and I rescued you from him. You then crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. Jericho's citizens, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gergesites, Hivites, and Jebusites, fought against you, but I handed them over to you. I sent hornets ahead of you, and they drove out the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by your sword or bow. I gave you a land you did not labor for, and cities you did not build, though you live in them. You are eating from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and in truth. Get rid of the gods your father worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which you will worship. The gods of your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorite in whose lands you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. We will worship the Lord. The people replied, we will certainly not abandon the God to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us along the way. We went, and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. No, the people answered Joshua. We will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a, a statute, an ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the books of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak of the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, You see this stone? It will be a witness against you. For it has heard all the words the Lord said to us, and it will be a witness against you so that you will not deny your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. After these things, the Lord's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110. They buried him in his allotted territory at Timnath-Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. 
Israel worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had experienced all the works of the Lord done for Israel. Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the parcel of land Jacob had purchased from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, which had been given to his son, Phinehas, in the hill country of Ephraim. What a powerful, powerful, powerful ending to the book of Joshua. And I got to tell you, church, it's an inspiring book too. And it should be inspiring to us because we're going to draw some things from this book today, not only as fathers, but as believers, it's going to help us move forward in the Lord. You know, this past weekend, church, I had a marvelous time and I was thinking about this message even then. We went to a place that we often visited when the boys were growing up, a place called Patoka Lake. I don't, have any of you guys ever been there? Let me see your hands. Oh, oh, yep, looks like a few of you have been there. Listen, Patoka Lake has such a tremendous legacy for us. I mean, it's just a wonderful place. The way it came into our lives was while I was working at Wayside, it was really tight. Uh, you know, we weren't making a lot. I was working at Wayside, throwing two paper outs. It was hard for us to get away on vacations. But there was a supporter at Wayside by the name of Mary, Mary Jane. She was a sweet lady, loving, loving Christian lady. And Mary Jane had a, a place up at Patoka Lake. And Mary Jane said to, said to me one day, Hey, you got some vacation time coming up, according to Tim. Why don't you go up to Patoka Lake and I've got a place you can use for nothing, for free. And I said, no, no. I said, oh, you got to be kidding me. You know, praise the Lord. And it was so cool because we went up there and we had a great time. And it repeated itself over the years as Mary Jane was gracious. And I remember great memories up there of all the kids being there. I remember even a young Michael and Aaliyah sitting in front of an old, big, flat screen projector television. You guys remember what a projector television is? They were sitting in front of that and they were playing Super Mario. I thought it was so funny to watch these two competing with one another, playing Super Mario, screaming and yelling like a couple of, well, kids. And it was so cool because later on the whole family came and, and, and grandchildren came and, and Linda and I got to, to, to visit with them. And what a marvelous legacy. But the cool thing was to later to be able to relate how God had moved and how God had made a way and how God provided for us to build that in to our legacy of remembering. I don't know, it just brings back such a sweet memory. And as we sang that song at worship, again, it just brought to, to mind God's hand being over it all. And so, as we look at this book of Joshua, you know, Michael does such a great job of giving a little context. So let me do that, because I don't want to just jump into the book. It's going to be a little different message. We're going to walk through it, and it's not going to be going to specific order like Michael does. He does such a great job of putting things in order with you. He's got an orderly mind. My mind bounces around. So a little context. What's the big idea? Well, the book of Joshua is written to the descendants of those who conquered the land. It was a historical account of how they came to settle there. It celebrates God as general, as defender, and as king. It shows all of the geographical boundaries given to each of the tribes of Israel. 
Now listen, church, even more significantly, the book of Joshua serves as a connecting narrative between the days of Moses and the days of the Judges, during which the book was first circulated. That which Moses began and endured in the wilderness, Joshua was able to claim victoriously in the land. God's promises through the ages were being fulfilled before the people's eyes. Not one, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made in the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. We read that in Joshua 21.45. So, just for a little early application, how do I apply this? Well, the last few verses of Joshua's narrates three burials. We just read them. Joshua, Joseph, and Eleazar the high priest. And strange as it may seem, these burials, church, proclaim God's character. All three men were associated with Israel's days in captivity. Joseph, long ago, and Jacob's first family, uh, first settled in Egypt, and Joshua and Eleazar as young men on the journey through the wilderness. And now, listen, and now all these lay at rest in the land of promise. Witnesses to God's faithfulness. God is the ultimate promise keeper and legacy builder. As faithful and present as God was with Israel church, so he is with us today. So I I cry with Joshua, be strong, be courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a beautiful promise. And what I'm going to do this morning, and instead of the points, church, I'm going, to, I'm going to build an acrostic. You know, one of the things I loved about Curtis Woods when Curtis was with us, Curtis had a way of cementing things into our mind, and he would use these acrostics. Now listen, I am not a Curtis Woods. I, I heard that. But what we're going to look at this morning, church, is legacy. L-E-G-A-C-Y, Legacy. And you know, Merriam-Webster, a legacy is this, something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Legacy. And I want to begin this morning, the first letter of legacy would be the letter L. And what I've chosen to, to cement it in my mind and maybe help us fathers is this, leaders lead. Leaders lead. Oh yeah, in case you forgot, this is an encouragement to fathers. But listen, this is always an encouragement to the brothers and sisters in the Lord too. So listen, I don't want you to shut it off. So many times we get to these kind of special messages and they go, ah, pastor's going to talk to the fathers today. I can tune it out. Please don't tune this out. Hang with me. Listen, church, biblical truth. Here it is. When God gives a person an opportunity to lead, he also encourages and empowers the person to lead. And I want you to see something here. Joshua's preparation to lead church was incredible. I ran back through the, to the scriptures and I just took a look at it. Exodus 7, 9, 10, 13 through 14. Joshua leads a victorious battle against the Amalekites. Exodus 24, 13. Joshua, the servant of Moses, accompanied the Jewish leader to the mountain of God. Listen, the elders and the priests sat down and Joshua went with Moses to the mountain of God. Preparation. Preparation for legacy. In Numbers eleven twenty eight, 28, Joshua was the attendant of Moses from his youth. 
That's how long Joshua had been with Moses. Numbers 13 through 16, Moses changes his name when he sends him out as a spy. I don't know if you know this church, but Joshua's name used to be Hosea, salvation. And he changes it to Joshua, the Lord saves. Ah, there's those whispers of the gospel, even in the Old Testament. Numbers 14, 6 through 10, 30 and 38. Joshua spied out Canaan. Man, we love that story, don't we? know the story. He runs in there. He looks at the land. Twelve go. Twelve come back. All of them, except for two, have bad reports. Oh, Lord, we can't do this. And Joshua come back and said, it's done. Let's go. And believe it or not, those are the only two, Caleb and Joshua, who actually entered in from that, from that group. Numbers 27, 18, Joshua, sorry, is dwelt by the Holy Spirit. I'm getting excited. Numbers 27, 18 through 23, Joshua is commissioned for spiritual service for the first time to assist Moses. Go back and look at these later, church. Numbers 32, 12, Joshua followed the Lord fully. Go look at the story. Joshua 31, 23, Joshua is commissioned a second time. Joshua 34, Deuteronomy 34, 9, Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. You know, Moses put his hand on him, he was filled with the spirit, and later he was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses was leaving and Joshua was becoming a leader. Joshua assumes leadership. In Joshua 1.10, we see he assumes command. In, in chapter 2, he spies out, he sends spies to the land. In chapter 3, Israel crosses the Jordan. In 3, we see the battle of Jericho. In 7, Joshua deals with sin in the camp. And in 10, we see the sun stand still. We see the full range of God's hand and God's legacy. And Father is saying, what in the world has God to do with me? Well, man, we have to see ourselves as called to lead by the Lord. We have got to see ourselves as called to lead by the Lord. This didn't happen because of Moses. This happened because God called Joshua to lead. And we have to look at it kind of like Genesis 18, 19. Our parental calling fathers is similar to that which God gave to Abraham, the father of believers. You remember what it said? It says this, For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. And we see it again, fathers, in Deuteronomy 6. These words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. John 17, 3 seems like an odd one, but listen, this is eternal life, that they may what? Know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Fathers, we're called to lead, Ephesians 6, 4, another strong verse. I could have done the message there this morning. Fathers, do not stir your anger, do not stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Listen. Brothers and sisters, there is no role in our modern society that suffers greater neglect as far as God is concerned than that of the Father. Just stay with me. I don't, this is not going to be a discouraging message, but there's got to be some truth here too, spoken into it, sometimes hard truth. Not only has God given men the incredible privilege of imitating Him as Father, He has placed upon our shoulders as fathers an incredible responsibility. As our society has chosen this day to celebrate fathers, it's appropriate 
to remind fathers of their God-given responsibilities. By God's standards, anyone who is a father should first be called a husband. Therefore, being a responsible father first necessitates being a good husband. One must love, honor, nourish, and cherish in every aspect of her life his wife. Only then will one be prepared to be a good father. As a father, no challenge rings clearer in my mind than that set forth by the Apostle Paul who said what I read above, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know, I wish as a young man my father had heard this. You know, because in just a few words, the Spirit speaks of responsibility, accountability, and possibility in light of those who have taken on the good work of being a father. And it is a good work. First, a father is not to, res- to, provi- to provoke their children to wrath in the area of responsibility. What this means is in no uncertain terms is that a father is not to purposely do things that make their children scornful, angry, resentful, discouraged, and bitter. You know, Colossians 3.21 encourages us along that line. It says, do not exasperate your children so that they don't become discouraged. Now listen, fathers, there's a difference between doing something that is right for them, okay, yet does not meet with their approval. For example, a pow-pow every now and then. Pow-pows are like that. Or even setting boundaries for them, for their own good. And doing something that angers them for no good reason. And what I want you to think about, fathers, is meaningless rules. Meaningless rules because you are in charge. In many cases, there's a fine line between the two that a father must avoid to keep from provoking his children to wrath. Now listen, in my years of urban ministry, I have seen that children have been provoked to wrath because of their father's absence. You know, we're living in a culture today and we're, in a, we're experiencing culture wars today and we're experiencing uh, an uprising today. And some of that feeds back into history and the father's absence in the home. In some cases, a mother has chosen a lifestyle that precludes a father, sometimes for selfish reasons. And mothers will have to deal with those consequences. But yet more often than not, it is due to the neglect and irresponsibility and selfishness of a father that the home does not feel his presence. You know, in many seemingly normal homes, what I mean by normal is both parents in the house in a fairly stable situation. In that situation, children are provoked to anger because the father is simply too busy to be the father. He's too busy climbing the corporate ladder, pursuing personal hobbies. In other situations, the father is too overbearing. I can relate to that one personally. In some cases, the father is abusive, both physically and emotionally. In many homes, the father is hypocritical, demanding things of his family that he doesn't demand of himself. All of these things 
can and will provide a child or provoke a child to wrath, and I, and I encourage his fathers to avoid them. The second primary aspect of a father's responsibility is to bring his children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The need for this command to be realized in today's society could not be more keenly felt. Under Christ, the father is the spiritual head of the home. Take a look at Ephesians 5, 23 through 24. I don't have time to read them all to us this morning, but take a look at it. His presence, listen, His presence, H capital, Christ, through the example and the teaching of the Father, should be felt in the home, in its boundaries, in its worship, and through the Father's gentle love, leadership, and example. One of our biggest struggles is that too many fathers are not spiritual men. And this has got to change, brothers. This has got to change as regenerate men of God become part of God's legacy. As men of God realize we are not who we were, we are what we are now. It's not what we were in the past, it's who we are now in Christ that matters. But I'm going to back off just a little on the essential to say, for single moms and single dads, that God can take an imperfect situation and provide the essential component so that the kids can grow up in a wonderful way. God can do that. He can put his hand on it. In fact, you know, I remember having dinner with a single mom and her two sons while working at Wayside. And I stood in awe of that single mom. And I didn't probe into what happened he had been gone for a long time and it wasn't death, so there was obviously some kind of crisis there. But I looked at those two boys. One was in college and one had just finished college. And I thought, this mom has done something really incredible here. God can make the difference. You know, another struggle is that too many fathers do not comprehend what the training and admonition of the Lord is, let alone how to bring their children up in it. You know, children need to be taught from a young age about the Lord. And I am so happy as as the grandpa here at the church to watch my brothers and sisters raising their kids today. It is such an encouragement to me to see you pouring not only your love and affection into your kids, but Christ into your kids. That's the most important thing. It's to pour that in to the kids. Children need to be taught at a young age, and that must be taught and shown to live by the Lord's commands. Hmm. You know, I can tell you how difficult it is the other way around, y'all. I grew up in a home where my father was lost. Jesus wasn't poured into my life. I'm so thankful that at age 30, God caught up to me. But training and admonition mean more than simply discipline or punishment for wrongdoing, brothers. They imply that a father should spend time instructing and training his children to do right. You know, one of the things I do when I counsel sometimes with couples, I ask this question, who says let's more often in your family? Did you catch what I said? Who said let's more often in your family? In other words, let's get to church on time. Let's eat, out, let's eat out today. Let's talk about the finances in this marriage. And if the wife is always having to say, let's have devotions, let's discipline the children better, let's go to worship, and the dad is always responding or is always recalcitrant, then something is wrong here. Fathers, we are instructed to bring them up and feed and nurture them on it. 
Children have to be instructed on how to do what is good and avoid those things which are evil. It doesn't come naturally. Our natural inclination is to be sinners. I love it sometimes. I hope I didn't. No, I'm not going to do it because I didn't check with Aaliyah. They must be instructed, okay? They must be instructed regarding the straight and the narrow path that leads to heaven. And listen, we got to walk it. We got to show it. And then they got to be reminded to stay on the path. Lord willing, they will carry this training with them into life. And its ultimate goal is to spur them to willingly submit their life to their heavenly Father as this is the way they should go. Therefore, an incredible challenge lies before a father. And let me say this to my brother pastors and in leading the flock too. I want to encourage Michael and I want to encourage Lance. I want to encourage Mark. We are father examples to the flock. Let's keep that in mind as we move forward and and demonstrate. Accountability. Children are blessing from the Lord, brothers, right? Psalm 127, 3 through 5. As with all blessings, there's accountability. Fathers, it's important we realize that the Spirit gave this charge regarding our children to us. Listen to me, to us. We can't can't get around it. He did not give it to the mother, though their rule is absolutely necessary and it's being carried out. He did not give it to the mother. He did not give it to the daycare. He did not give it to the babysitter. He did not give it to the nanny. He did not give it to the grandparents. Nor did He give it to the church, the school, or the youth program. Brothers, He gave it to the fathers. Therefore, fathers will bear the accountability, the consequence for failing to carry out or the reward for doing so. Brothers, let us never forget. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But listen, there's also possibility in here. Not only does this verse speak of responsibility and accountability, it speaks of possibility. It speaks of the possibility of bringing up godly children despite the immorality and wickedness of the day. It speaks of creating a strong bond between a father and his children all the days of their lives in a day, church, when the elderly are left to die in loneliness and despair. It speaks of the possibility of happy, well-adjusted children who love God and love their families. It speaks of the possibility of spiritual men leading spiritual homes in a spiritual way that brings up spiritual children. But most of all, it speaks of the possibility of heaven for fathers and for their children. This is ultimately what it's all about. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says it so clearly. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is for all humanity. So along with the leading that we see in Joshua, some additional keys to legacy building, I'm going to bounce to the E in our acrostic. And in the E in our acrostic, it's about encouragement and empowerment. We need to use spiritual discernment so we encourage and we empower. You know, I told you to remember Shechem. Boy, I tell you what, God gave 
Joshua is such an incredible picture. Shechem, first steps on the pages of Scripture as Abram enters the land of Canaan from Ur across the Fertile Crescent and down into Canaan. The Bible mentions Shechem as a first city to which Abraham came in Genesis 12.6. Here Abraham built an altar to the Lord and here God confirmed his promise to give the land to Abraham. Here Jacob, renamed Israel, built an altar named El Elohi Israel, meaning God, the God of Israel. Here also, Jacob dug the well for his many herds, and that well is still there today. That well shows up in John. That well shows up in the woman at the well. Joseph's last memories of Israel before his brothers and sisters sold him was of Shechem and Dothan. He believed that God would one day return the nation to Canaan, and so he gave the command for his bones to be carried back with him and buried there in Genesis 50. After Moses brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, God commanded Israel to enter the promised land and go to Shechem to pronounce the blessings and the curses of the Mosaic covenant on the nation, Deuteronomy 27. Joshua did this and dividing the nations, half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and the other half stood in front of Mount Ebal in Joshua 8.35. From Mount Ebal, they shouted curses if they had disobeyed the law. And from Mount Gerizim, they shouted the blessings if they obeyed. And there on Mount Ebal, Joshua built an altar to God and on the pillars of stone, he wrote a copy of the law. Joshua 8. Listen, brothers, at the end of the conquest, Joshua gathered the whole nation to Shechem again, reminding them, reminding them of their previous pledge and the blessings and the curses that they themselves pronounced. He then set up another stone at Shechem, saying, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against you, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, lest you deny your God. Do you see the encouragement there? Do you see the empowerment there? As Joshua brings the people back in their history, as Joshua shows them again what mighty things God had done for them, as Joshua shows them again the incredible love, what an encouragement that was to the people. You know, we see the blessings and the cursing, but God says, here's my encouragement to you. Remember And you say, practically, how does that work for us, Pastor? Well, you know, I would recommend something as an application here for us today. Have you ever thought of doing a family covenant? What an incredible thing. You know, we're a covenant church. You signed it when you became a member. Think about it, though. To raise Christian kids in a secular word and and basically not lose your marbles, you need to set a hard and fast set of rules, right? Or ideas. Rules. I like rules. I'm old school. You can do this Moses style if you want, okay? You can present these principles to your kids on stone tablets. Or you can just gather at the kitchen table and pen an agreement there. But for me, I think chiseled stones would be very cool. They'd be way cool. And would definitely get everybody's attention. And I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. I wish I thought to develop a covenant when my children were young. I'm making a confession here. We never did that. Although they all knew the rules since they were often repeated and often broken, there were no written documentation. We had no mutual covenant. And certainly there was no understanding when, when they were preteens as to why this set of values was critical to their witness, our Christian code or our family's honor. But let me say this to you, church. As I've grown, I've seen this grow over the ages and over the years. And if I had to develop them today, 
here's a few things that I would bring to the table from my covenant with our family. Honesty, acceptance, available, supportive, inclusion. When I mean inclusion, don't think of it in today's world, although that's, that's critical. I mean including everybody in that family, in those family decisions. Respect, honor, consequences. Just a few ideas. And the idea of covenant helps encourage and empower. It also guides to the truth, which is our next acrostic characteristic, church. Guide to the truth. Now, I know this is a bit out of order, but if you look in Joshua 24, you see a picture here of him guiding the the folks to the church. In verse 14, he steps out of this, thus saith the Lord, into a more fatherly confrontation, if you will. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. He says, get rid of those gods that you worshiped. He said, I want you to make a choice today. He's guiding them to the truth. As fathers, we need to be able to guide. See, Joshua isn't going to make it easy for the people at this point in time. You know, there are plenty of evangelists who would love to just stop at verse 18. What does verse 18 say? The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is there. What a great ending. But Joshua doesn't end there. Listen, the people have said the right words. We often say the right words. But Joshua wants to make sure the people know what they're saying. He wants to make sure they know what they're doing. And in a way, Joshua might be saying to us, don't follow God if you're not willing to be holy. Don't follow God if you're not willing to forsake all other gods. Don't follow God if you're, not, if you're going to cheapen His grace by sinning while you're thinking that God doesn't mind. And you'll just ask for forgiveness later. God is guide, Joshua's guiding them through the truth by these questions, and he's requiring of them a commitment to action. And listen, I'm going to ask you to make a choice today also. But if you make a choice, it has to be followed with action. It's not important how religious you seem, fathers. It's important whether you are an active, willing participant with God as he changes your life or not. I would suggest to you, along with, the, with this idea of a covenant, why don't you start a family journal? What another great idea. How can you guide them to God? List answers to prayer. List spiritual blessings. List spiritual insights. So that you as a family can look at that as a legacy. You can leave that to your kids. The next letter I want to get to in our acrostic is A. Listen, brothers, active faith and accountability is so critical. To us being fathers. You know, we have to admire the fidelity in Joshua. And we confess that he needed it. But we may perhaps forget that there never was an age in which decision for God was not equally required. It is well to admire this in another. But it's far better to possess it for ourselves. In all times, it is imperative upon men to take their stand for God and truth. Brothers, in the first household outside of Eden, Abel had need to protest against his elder brother's example and to die in the consequence. Enoch went all around and walked according to the course of this world, dared to be singular and walked with God. Noah believed God amid universal wickedness and persevered for long years in preparing the ark. Though all men mocked his warning, Abraham forsook country and home at the command of God and became a pilgrim and a stranger dwelling alone and not numbered among the people. He was a grand life For decided, active faith made him not only a mighty man, but a king among patriarchs. 
Each age has its man whose heart was fixed, trusting in the Lord to serve as a landmark for weaker saints to steer by and a rock against which the tumult of the people raged in vain. Are you one of those today? Do you have active faith, fathers? Look at Moses counting the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt, exciting a sluggish race to action, facing the tyrant king, conducting Israel into the wilderness. What a princely soul grace made him. How firmly did he adhere to right and truth so that he was faithful to God in his, all his house. Pass along to the judges and you'll find that there were men decided for the Lord. Even in that time when men did what was right in their own eyes, there were men and Israel wouldn't have been delivered. Remember Samuel, remember David, remember Nathan and Elijah. What, what surrounded the head of the Tishbite because he was exceedingly zealous for the Lord God of Israel. No time server was he. Just ask Jezebel and Ahab. They knew full well. And Michael's preaching through Daniel. In later years, Daniel is the grand type of decision and active faith. As we see, his opening his windows and praying, though he knows that the doom of death hangs over him. And we think about the three holy children who refused to stand. Who stood when others bowed. I'm sorry. Sorry, Michael who stood when others bowed before Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. In the New Testament times, John the Baptist rises to the front rank by his resolute fidelity, and Pilate sinks to eternal shame by reason of his vacillation. Paul is covered with renown, while Agrippa, who is almost persuaded, is lost in oblivion. Brothers and sisters, each age, decisive, active faith has been the one thing wanted and bent one thing wanted. To bend and to bow and to cringe has been fatal. But to stand, brothers, like iron columns and brazen walls has been safety and honor. And so it will be in our homes. Today, that like firmness is needed, brothers. We, the men of God, those of us redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, yielded to God, need to stand rooted. We too have to take our stand. And taking it, we've got to hold on to it as if we were rooted into the ground. Oh, blessed Holy Spirit, give us grace for this. Faithful Lord, set your image upon us that we too may resist even unto blood striving against sin. So we've got the L, the G, and the A. And listen, I love Paul Harvey Church. I don't know if any of you know Paul Harvey, but he was a wonderful Christian man, a, 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 an announcer. And Paul Harvey's sign-off was, and now you know the rest of the story. He would tell a story, get, have a break, come back to it, tell the end of the story, and he would end with, now you know the rest of the story. He told a story once that I won't forget, and I think it ties into us. He said, remember the uncertain soldier in our civil war who, figuring to play it safe, dressed himself in a blue coat and gray pants and tiptoed onto the battlefield. He got shot from both directions. Listen, Joshua calls for a choice. And that's the C in our acrostic. Choice. And you see that in Joshua 24, towards the middle. Choose you this day whom you serve. And he then tells you who he's going to serve. And it's so interesting, when you lose, look at choice, the English uses a future tense here when we read it in our Bible. But listen to me, church. The Hebrew tense has a fuller meaning. It expresses continuous action. It involves the future. 
but it can also point to the past. Joshua was undoubtedly affirming, I have chosen and I will choose. I have chosen and I will choose. Brothers, we have to stand that resolutely to be the leaders in our household. Joshua could make this statement because he had lived a life that continuously chose to serve the Lord. Listen, church, Joshua chose to fight against the Amalekites. He chose when it might have cost him everything. Joshua chose to reject the golden calf, choosing when the flesh might be satisfied. Joshua chose to serve the Lord by serving Moses, choosing a humble place. Joshua chose to believe God's promise about the promised land, choosing against the majority. Joshua chose to recognize the leadership of the captain of the Lord's army, choosing to surrender to the God. Joshua chose to take leadership of Israel and lead them into the land, choosing faith instead of unbelief. God gives us choice, brothers and sisters. God is a choosing God. We are made in His image. He wants us to also choose. But listen, friend, I lay before you a choice this morning. A more important choice will never be presented. The thing is that we will all leave a legacy. Either a legacy of sorrow, regret, pain, shame, eternal suffering, and eternal separation from God. Or a legacy of faith, hope, love, eternal life in the presence of God. You see, friend, God created us to be with Him. However, our sins separate us from God. We, being the independent folks that we think we are, we think we can earn God's favor by doing good. But listen, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. You can't do enough good deeds. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that our good deeds are like filthy rags. Paying the price for sin, and this is good news, Jesus died and rose again. And listen, everyone, everyone who believes in Him alone has eternal life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning to choose whom you will serve. The gods of the world or Jesus, the Messiah, King of kings, Lord over all. But, but let me be honest. Let me be honest. Don't choose hastily. Please count the cost. For there will be trouble. You will be hated. There will be hard times until his return. But he, unlike many of our so-called friends, has never broken his promises. He even took the bones of an old man in Egypt and fulfilled promises in the new land. He has overcome the world. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has defeated the devil. And he is coming again soon to claim his people. Would you be one? Well, we've reached the final letter of the acrostic Y, and you're probably saying, Amen. His brother John again going long. But this Y is important. This Y stands for yielded. Yielded. 
You see, brothers, if you have believed in Jesus, you must be willing to yield yourself to Him, trusting that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Yield it. You know, we see it again in Joshua 24, and I kind of jumped on the, over, over this passage, but that's why I read it. He says, but as for me and my house, listen to that statement. This statement demonstrates that Joshua also understood that he, as the priest of the family, his family, was charged with the responsibility to see that his whole house served the Lord. He had the job of representing his whole house before God. So do we. The sense is that Joshua would do whatever was right and godly to make sure that his household did serve the Lord. It's not like the modern day thinking, oh, let these kids grow up and make their own choices. They don't make choices. They have no history. They have no background. How do you make choices without any of that, brothers and sisters? There has got to be direction, and God has given us direction. I have heard this so many times from moms and from dads in sessions. You know, I'm doing the best I can as a parent. My kids didn't come with a manual. You're wrong. Your kids came with a manual. It's right here. It's called the Word of God. Everything we need here is ready for us to use. We are not without. His hand is on it. He knew that they would serve Him together. And it was, we will serve the Lord. But I love the but here. You know, Michael talks about the buts in the Scriptures. Here's another one. But, for me and my house, that contrasting word but, it gives the sense that Joshua was determined on this course no matter what anyone else thought, no matter what anyone else did, no matter what anyone else said, we're going to serve God. His relationship with God was not based on any man, but on the Lord alone. He would yield to and serve the living God no matter what anyone else did. And let me say this to you, church, and brothers in particular right now this morning, beloved, just like Joshua, because we are yielded, hesitation is gone. Because we are yielded, we live above the evil influence of others. Because we are yielded, our decisions are deep. They're calm, they're clear, they're fixed, they're well-grounded, and they're solemnly made. Because we are yielded, our decisions are openly made. Because we are yielded, our decisions are earnestly carried out. And because we are yielded, our decisions are kept through this whole life, and a new legacy begins. Listen, church, I know you're sitting at home. Say it with me. We will serve the Lord. I didn't hear you. Come on, one time. We will serve the Lord. Inherit in Joshua's declaration as that he would serve the Lord only. He would not serve the Lord and someone or something else. There was one God in his life, and that God was the Lord and to Him He yielded, and to Him alone. I challenge you, brothers. I challenge you. You say, I am not a Joshua. 
Biblical truth. The men who God calls to lead, he empowers to lead. I'm at the end. Praise the Lord. Yes. As I reflect over this acrostic, brothers, lead, leaders lead, encouragement, power, guide to truth, active faith, accountability, choice, and yielded. I pray that God would grant me the opportunity to determine how I want to exit this world. You know, I hope to be an elderly man at home, lying in bed. Some of of us would say you're an elderly man already. (laughs) Seated next to me on the edge of the bed, my bride, Lynn, is holding my hand. While all around the room are my children, now grown, who are there with their spouses, godly men and women. Also in the room are my grandchildren with their spouses, godly as well. And maybe, if I'm old enough, there will be great-grandchildren starting fires and destroying things while no one's looking. When all is said and done, I pray to see God's legacy lived out in my children and their children and their children. Over the years, I've come to realize that I have the opportunity to shape future generations, not necessarily through sermons, as you can tell I'm long-winded, or, or things I write, but through something as simple as loving my God and my wife, thus showing my family what it looks like to seek God in their lives and in their relationships. The truth is, many of us believe that in order to change the world, we have to be famous or celebrated. I was watching last night. We now have comedians giving us words on how to be parents. We believe that we have to be authors or athletes or have people shout our names in auditoriums and large gatherings of people. But, but what if God's plan for you is to be simply the best husband or wife or mom or dad, soup kitchen volunteer, after school tutor? You can be. What if God's plan is for you to break a cycle of abuse and addiction in your family? To set a new course for future generations. To be hope to the hopeless. Or to love someone others would consider unlovable. That's not too bad of a legacy to leave if you ask me. So beloved, I end with this. And please hear this. Put Christ into the heart and he will chase sin out or keep sin in the soul and sin will put down every better thought till the man is altogether wicked. Fathers, beloved new breed, brothers and sisters, I set before you this morning a stone. Look at me. 
I set before you this morning a stone in the following exhortation. If you got paper, write this down. If not, get to it later. Listen to me. As for me, I will serve the Lord. I want you to put your name in there. As for John, I will serve the Lord. Put your name there. Put it there earnestly. Or, if this is not your mind right, as for me, I will serve the world. And put your name there. New breed, I long to drive you to decision. But only God can do that. Listen to me, church. If God be God, serve Him. If Baal be God, serve Him. Oh, may the Spirit of God lead you to decide for God and His Christ at this very moment. And He shall have the praise forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord God, be merciful to us, for we are weak, but you are strong. Help us, Lord. Help us lead with a balance of encouragement and exhortation, guiding our families to truth with a vibrant, active faith based on godly choices from your word while being humbly yielded to you and your legacy for our families. For Jesus' sake, amen.